For over 50 years, people in conventional healthcare have urged Americans to reduce their intake of saturated fat, eat more healthy whole grains, and take statin cholesterol drugs to further reduce cholesterol. Has it worked? No, it absolutely has not worked, as I've discussed previously in my Defiant Health podcasts, as well as my drdavisinfinitehealth.com blog, and of course my books, conventional strategies have little, if any, impact on the incidence of heart disease. And in some instances, conventional strategies increase risk, especially their dietary advice. Witness, for example, that more than 80 million Americans now take a statin cholesterol drug, yet the incidence of heart disease has not gone down and hospitals continue to do a very brisk business in heart procedures, while the pharmaceutical industry continues to profit by dispensing drugs that hardly achieve anything. The recent Furrier trial has brought the cholesterol paradigm to its knees by taking it to its extreme. In this very large clinical trial involving over 20,000 participants, every participant was on a statin drug, but half were also given the injectable drug, Repatha, to further reduce LDL cholesterol. So half of the participants were on both a statin drug and Repatha injections. Participants receiving the statin plus Repatha had LDL cholesterol drop from 92 milligrams per deciliter to 30 milligrams per deciliter, an extremely low value. If the LDL cholesterol is bad argument is valid, then reducing it to this extremely low value should yield a significant reduction in heart disease. And it did not. There was a barely measurable 1.5% reduction in cardiovascular events over two years. And while the numbers have been a topic of debate, there was a likely increase in overall death in people receiving Repatha. Not to mention that the drug costs around $600 per month per person. And of the 13,000 people on Repatha plus statin with LDL cholesterols of 30, 1,300 of them died, had a heart attack, stroke, or required a heart procedure over the two years. In short, Reducing cholesterol, even to extremely low values, does not work. As I have often said, the real tragedy of focusing on cholesterol is that it takes everyone's attentions away from the real causes of heart disease. Among them, VLDL, or very low-density lipoproteins. So in this episode of Defiant Health, let's talk about VLDL particles and why, if your interest is in minimizing or eradicating risk for heart disease that remains the number one killer of men and women in the U.S., you need to understand VLDL. Later in the podcast, let's talk about Defiant Health's sponsor, Paleo Valley, their fermented grass-fed beef sticks, bone broth protein rich in collagen, organic super greens, and low-carb superfood bars are wonderful additions to your healthy lifestyle. They are also expanding their wild pastures service that delivers 100% grass-fed and finished pastured meats from a regenerative family farm right to your door. And look for their interesting new products, such as chocolate-flavored grass-fed bone broth protein, grass-fed organ complex in capsule form, and essential electrolytes to add to your intake of electrolytes such as magnesium. I'd also like to introduce Defiant Health's newest sponsor, Cutting Edge Cultures, a source for excellent starter cultures to create your own fermented foods. For those of you who want to be more confident in making your own fermented vegetables, 
yogurts, and kefirs, Cutting Edge Cultures provides convenient starter cultures that begin with specific beneficial microbes, while also making the process faster, meaning you'll create healthy fermented foods typically starting within 48 hours or so, depending on what you're fermenting. I'll tell you more about their terrific products later in the podcast. So to understand how heart disease is really caused, you really have to forget everything you've been told about such things as cholesterol, LDL bad cholesterol, saturated fat. It really helps to start with a clean slate because the whole cholesterol paradigm is a house of cards that's false. And so all the extrapolations, all the conclusions you make starting with this false house of cards leads you down dead ends, leads you down misleading pathways that do not work, like reducing LDL cholesterol to its extreme, as in the Fourier trial, will do anything good for you. It does not. And so it really helps to start with a clean slate and forget all those things about LDL bad cholesterol, ratios like triglyceride to HDL, forget all that stuff because it all came from this false or this wobbly house of cards. It also helps to forget all you've been told about statin cholesterol drugs because a lot of the information that surrounds these drugs is hype and marketing and is not true. So, for instance, you hear things like this, that statin cholesterol drugs markedly reduce heart attack risk. Is that true? No, it's not. It's a statistical trick they play on you. It's called relative risk, by the way. And there is no such thing as a statin cholesterol drug that reduces heart attack risk by that much. The best case scenario, those studies suggest a very small reduction in heart attack and other events on the order of about 1, 2, or 3% over several years, if that's even true. We always have to bear in mind that the majority of clinical studies purported to document the benefits of statin cholesterol drugs were paid for by the drug industry. And we know with good science that whenever a company or a sponsor pays for a study, it virtually always comes out in favor of the drug or procedure or the device. And so if most of the science, most of the clinical studies was paid for by the drug industry, you know that it's tainted. It's all come out in favor of the statin cholesterol drug. Another thing to bear in mind about the statin cholesterol drugs, you've likely heard that they markedly increase your potential for developing type 2 diabetes. Now, my colleagues often say, well, it's worth the risk of developing diabetes because the effects of the statins are so great. Well, the effects of statin are not so great. They're they're minimal. And so is it really worth a 30 to 50% increase in likelihood of developing type 2 diabetes for a single digit at best reduction in cardiovascular events? And of course, you're given the wrong diet in conventional circles. You're given a diet, and we'll talk about this, you're given a diet that causes heart disease. And then they come to your rescue with a statin cholesterol drug that amplifies risk for type 2 diabetes and other problems, and then rely on the drug to reduce risk a little bit. The whole, par- the whole process makes no sense whatsoever. Also factor in the fact that cholesterol measures, such as total cholesterol and LDL cholesterol, are lousy predictors of the future cardiovascular events. To illustrate, what's the average LDL cholesterol of, a, of an everyday person with no heart disease? It's 133 milligrams per deciliter. What's the average LDL cholesterol of a person who has a heart attack on no statin drug or other drugs to reduce cholesterol? 
133 milligrams per deciliter. In other words, you cannot tell the difference. So if somebody has an LDL cholesterol of 160, does that mean they're at high risk for heart disease? If they have an LDL of 100, does that mean they're not at risk? No, you can't tell from LDL cholesterol what someone's risk is because LDL cholesterol is this crude, outdated value. Where did it come from, by the way? I, I've talked about this previously, but I'll refresh your memory. So this whole idea of cholesterol came from 1950s research at the National Institutes of Health, where it was recognized that lipoproteins, fat-carrying proteins, circulate in the bloodstream and contribute to coronary disease, coronary atherosclerosis. So researchers at the NIH wanted to quantify and characterize these various lipoproteins. So they began by spinning or centrifuging the plasma part of your blood. That's the clear part of your blood when the red blood cells are taken out. So the clear part of, pl of blood or plasma remains, and they spin it down at high speed. When you do that, there are various fractions of particles that layer out. You can actually see these layers at the top is the lowest density, the very low density lipoproteins, VLDL, because those VLDL particles are very rich in triglycerides or fats. Fats are triglycerides, triglycerides are fats. So VLDL particles that are full of fat, just like salad dressing, the oil always goes to the top, right? Because it's the least dense, while the water or the vinegar goes to the bottom, it's the most dense. So in the centrifuge plasma sample, the VLDL particles are at the top, the lowest density, rich in fats. At the bottom are high-density lipoproteins because they're rich in proteins. And in the middle is low-density lipoproteins. So how do you quantify and characterize these lipoproteins in each layer using 1950s, 1960s technology? Not easy. So they decided to have a little crude workaround, and that was to take these particles. These are complex particles, these lipoproteins. They have multiple ingredients or components. They have triglycerides. They have proteins like apoprotein B or apoprotein C, and they have various forms of cholesterol. So they chose cholesterol as this indicator. The more cholesterol you have in each layer, the more the number of particles. We now know, by the way, that is not true, that you cannot use cholesterol as an indirect indicator of the number of particles in each layer. Nonetheless, that's what they did. They measured the cholesterol in the entire blood sample, plasma sample. They measured the amount of cholesterol in the VLDL top layer. They measured the amount of cholesterol in the HDL high-density layer. And because it was difficult to measure that middle uh, layer, they developed a very crude equation based on those three other measures, total cholesterol, HDL cholesterol, VLDL cholesterol. And that's the calculation. It's called the Friedewald calculation because Dr. William Friedewald developed this very crude calculation. So the equation was meant to approximate, crudely approximate the amount of lipoproteins in that LDL layer by using cholesterol values. Now the equation, though simple, makes assumptions in order for this to yield any kind of meaningful information. It assumes that we're not overweight. It assumes that we're not diabetic or pre-diabetic. It assumes we all eat the same diet. It assumes that nobody has high triglycerides. There's a bunch of assumptions in here that you can imagine are not true in many cases or most cases. And so this was the birth of LDL cholesterol as a predictor of heart disease. It's a lousy predictor. It's very crude. It's not measured. It's calculated, calculated based on false assumptions. And it tells you, LDL cholesterol tells you nothing about the person. We're going to be talking a lot about small LDL particles. So let's take a LDL cholesterol 
of 150 milligrams per, de per deciliter. What can you tell me about that LDL cholesterol? Can you tell me if all the particles are large and thereby not a risk for heart disease? Can you tell me if all the LDL particles in that 150 milligrams of LDL particles, all, are they all small and thereby very high risk for heart disease? In other words, an LDL cholesterol of say 150 milligrams per deciliter does not tell you how much risk comes from it because you don't know it's contained within it. And it's likely very inaccurate to begin with. So the whole world of cholesterol came about as a crude way to approximate or guesstimate the number of lipoproteins in the various fractions in those plasma samples that were spun down in a centrifuge. But we've been able to measure and characterize lipoproteins for at least 25, 30 years. We don't need to use that indirect method to guesstimate how many lipoproteins there are. We can actually accurately measure. There's several methods to do so. The method that's become kind of the gold standard nowadays is called NMR, or nuclear magnetic resonance. And all that means is that same plasma sample is put into a magnetic field. And the various fractions of lipoproteins can be quantified, their size measured, and other factors measured. And you get a complex reading on what's exactly in your plasma in the way of VLDL, HDL, LDL, and other particles. There are now 55 human clinical studies demonstrating that measurement of small LDL particles in particular is a superior measure, dramatically superior measure to LDL cholesterol. In one study, for instance, among the 55 studies looking at the value of small LDL as a predictor of heart disease or a cause of heart disease, the ARIC study, which was published some years ago, 11,000 participants watched over 11 years. And the people who had the greatest number of small LDL particles had by a large stretch the greatest future heart attack and death from heart disease. When the same analysis was done with LDL cholesterol values, there was no predictive value. You could not tell who was going to die or have a heart attack. But looking at small LDL was a very powerful discriminator, identifying people who were indeed at risk for heart attack and death. Now, that was just one study. There's 54 more with similar findings showing that small LDL particles are a superior predictor of heart disease. The Defiant Health Podcast is sponsored by Paleo Valley, makers of delicious grass-fed beef sticks, healthy snack bars, and other products. We are very picky around here and insist that any product we consider has no junk ingredients like maltodextrin, carrageenan, carboxymethylcellulose, sucralose, and of course, no added sugars. And all Paleo Valley products contain no gluten nor grains. In fact, I find Paleo Valley products among the cleanest of any in their category, and they're truly delicious. One of the habits I urge everyone to get into is to include a fermented food product at least once, if not several times per day in their lifestyles. Unlike nearly all other beef sticks available, the Paleo Valley grass-fed beef sticks are all naturally fermented, meaning they contain probiotic bacterial species. And now, Paleo Valley is expanding their Wild Pastures program that provides 100% grass-fed, grass-finished pastured beef and pastured chicken and pork, raised without herbicides or pesticides and raised in the USA. And they've just added wild-caught seafood caught from the waters of Bristol Bay, Alaska. They're now offering a 20% lifetime discount on every order for a limited time. I'll post the web address in the Defiant Health show notes. Shipping for Paleo Valley products is free for orders of $75 or more. For more information or to order, go to paleovalley.com. That's P-A-L-E-O-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com. 
enter the coupon code DEFIANT, not case sensitive, for a 15% discount to Defiant Health listeners. The web address is also listed in the Defiant Health show notes that accompany this podcast. And be sure to take a look at their other products, such as their organic super greens, rich with phytonutrients, and their super food bars that come in dark chocolate chip, apple cinnamon, and lemon meringue. They're low carb, of course, with 8 grams net carbs per bar. The folks at Paleo Valley have lately been busy, recently adding some interesting new products, including pasture-raised, fermented pork sticks, chocolate-flavored, grass-fed, bone broth protein, grass-fed organ complex in capsule form, pumpkin spice superfood bars with grass-fed bone broth protein, and new essential electrolytes in powder form to add to the potassium and magnesium intake of your lifestyle, available in orange, lemon, and melon flavors. And for listeners to the Defiant Health Podcast, you can apply your discount code for a 15% discount. The discount code can be found in the show notes. I'd like to also introduce you to Defiant Health's newest sponsor, Cutting Edge Cultures, who provides a variety of high-quality starter cultures for your fermenting projects. Including several servings of fermented foods in your daily routine is among the most important practices you can adopt to maintain or restore the health of your gastrointestinal microbiome. Cutting Edge Cultures makes it easy. With starter cultures for culturing vegetables with their Culture Veggie Starter, yogurt with the Yogurt Plus Starter, and kefir with Easy Kefir Starter. They've also added LR Superfood Starter to cultivate one of my favorite microbes, Lactobacillus roteri, and l Gasseri Superfood Starter to grow Lactobacillus gasseri, both extremely important gut microbes lost by modern people. They also have a convenient prebiotic powder called PreBio Plus that makes it easy to add important prebiotic fibers to coffee, yogurt, or other foods. And you've got to try their kefir soda starter that makes an effervescent soda-like drink filled with healthy probiotic species. Go to Cutting Edge Culture's website to enter the discount code DEFIANT, not case sensitive, for a 15% discount for Defiant Health listeners. Web address and show notes. Using Cutting Edge Cultures not only allows you to pick and choose some of the microbes you ferment, but also saves time by cutting back on the amount of time required to ferment your foods. So let's talk more about small LDL particles. Why are small LDL particles, not LDL cholesterol, that was the crude way to guesstimate or approximate the number of LDL particles, we're going to measure LDL particles, their number and their size. So let's focus on the small, abnormally small LDL particles. Normal LDL particles are large, and because they're large, the liver recognizes them. There's a protein, a recognition protein on the surface of LDL particles called apoprotein B. When the LDL particle is large, that's caused, by the way, by fat consumption, the liver recognizes that large LDL particle readily and clears it from the bloodstream within 24 hours of creation. When the LDL particle is small, that apoprotein B recognition protein is partially concealed, its shape is changed, and the liver has a hard time recognizing that particle. So when you have small LDL particles circulating in the bloodstream, they're not cleared well by the liver, and they circulate for five to seven days. That means you have five to seven days for those small LDL particles to contribute to growing or adding to coronary atherosclerotic plaque. 
And because they're small, small LDL particles are more able, better able to enter the arterial wall and trigger the formation of atherosclerotic plaque. Small LDL particles are also more adherent to structural proteins in the artery wall. Small LDL particles are also more inflammatory. When they gain entry into the arterial wall, they initiate an inflammatory cascade that also adds to the growth and rupture, that's heart attack, of atherosclerotic plaque. And small LDL particles are much more prone to glycation, glucose modification, which makes them much more dangerous, and to oxidation. So you could say that the real particle that causes heart disease, coronary atherosclerosis, is the small glycoxidized LDL particle. And you can recover these from coronary atherosclerotic plaque. And when you look at somebody, when you study somebody who has a lot of small LDL particles, that is these particles that are unusually persistent, adherent, oxidation, glycation prone, right? So when you look at somebody who's got a lot of small LDL particles, let's say by an NMR test, and they have maybe 1,800 nanomoles per liter particle count per volume of small LDL particles, that typically almost always is accompanied by other abnormalities such as high triglycerides low HDL, higher blood sugar, more prediabetes and type 2 diabetes, more hypertension, more abdominal obesity, more fatty liver, more insulin resistance. Uh, in other words, small LDL particles occur as part of a constellation of abnormal metabolic markers. LDL cholesterol has no such association. If you have an LDL cholesterol of 150, I can't tell you anything about that person. I can't tell you if that person's at high risk for heart disease. I can't tell you if that person is at no risk for heart disease. I can't tell you if they have other metabolic distortions like high blood sugar. But if you know somebody has an excess of small LDL particles, let's just say 1,800 nanomoles per liter, which is a pretty high value, you know that person has a whole landscape of abnormal metabolic markers that further amplify risk for heart disease. So it helps to understand how small LDL particles are formed. And it all revolves around the liver. So the liver has an extraordinary capacity to engage in a process called de novo lipogenesis. And all that means is creating fats, lipogenesis, de novo, new fats. And so the liver can take any sugar or carbohydrate, sugars such as fructose or sucrose or the amylopectin A of grains. That's the carbohydrate unique to grains that's extremely and highly digestible. So sugars and carbs, but especially the amylopectin A of wheat and grains, the liver takes those carbs and sugars and converts them to triglycerides or fats, lipogenesis. Now, triglycerides cannot float in the bloodstream freely because it would plug up your capillaries. And so the liver packages those triglycerides into VLDL particles, very low-density lipoproteins. Recall that fats are low-density, very low-density, and so these VLDL particles made by the liver through de novo lipogenesis are rich in triglycerides or fats. Now, these VLDL particles contribute to heart disease risk in two ways. One, they can interact directly with arteries and cause atherosclerotic plaque, inflammation, and all the things that lead to coronary disease. But the VLDL particles rich in triglycerides also interact with LDL particles and transfer large quantities of triglycerides to those LDL particles. 
These triglyceride-enriched LDL particles then grow through a series of reactions via enzymes that convert them to small LDL particles. In other words, the process begins with consumption of sugars and carbs that the liver converts to triglycerides, packages into VLDL particles that themselves are a cause for coronary disease, heart disease, and interact with LDL particles, enriching them in triglycerides, and that leads down the path to small LDL particles. So the, in this entire pathway, liver de novo lipogenesis, consumption of carbohydrates, VLDL particles, small LDL, does cholesterol play a role in any of this? No, none. There is no participation of cholesterol in any of it, except that it's a passive passenger in lipoprotein particles. And that's why it was used to approximate lipoprotein. But when you look at the lipoproteins themselves, you start to understand the initiating process is consumption of sugars and carbs, including grains. And by the way, it makes no difference whether it's white flour products or whole grain products because it's the amylopectin A that initiates this process in the liver. It's not the fiber. It's not the B vitamins. It's the presence of the amylopectin A in white flour products, in whole grain products that initiates the process of liver de novo lipogenesis. So think about this. That means if you're told to cut your fat, eat more healthy whole grains, you've been given a diet that causes liver de novo lipogenesis, VLDL, and small LDL. You've been given a diet that causes heart disease. Ironically, th that kind of lifestyle of low saturated fat, low fat, healthy whole grains is often called heart healthy. It is not heart healthy. It is heart disease causing Okay, so that's the process of liver de novo lipogenesis that leads to the formation of heart disease-causing lipoproteins. Now, here's another layer to the argument. That process of de novo lipogenesis is amplified, turned up higher by three processes, insulin resistance, inflammation, and portal endotoxemia. Let's consider each of those separately. Let's first consider insulin resistance. Insulin resistance is the process where your body's organs, the brain, heart, liver, muscle, don't respond well to insulin. And so the pancreas compensates by producing huge quantities of insulin, typically 30-fold, 100-fold higher than a normal person who is insulin sensitive. So if we were to check your fasting insulin, a slender insulin sensitive person will typically have a fasting insulin level of one or two or three micro units per liter. In other words, they require very little insulin to metabolize sugars. A person who is insulin resistant will have levels of 50, 90, 130 micro units per liter, many fold higher levels of insulin. And recall that insulin is the hormone of gaining weight or preventing weight loss. So these very high levels of insulin make the situation worse by causing you to gain weight, especially in the abdomen. And the abdominal fat is inflammatory fat. It adds further to insulin resistance, which causes more accumulation of visceral fat. In other words, it's a vicious cycle. Well, when insulin resistance is present, one of the things, one of the effects of insulin resistance is it amplifies or increases the process of liver de novo lipogenesis. In other words, the liver is more actively churning out triglycerides and VLDL and thereby increasing the populations of small LDL particles. So insulin resistance, an amplifier of liver de novo lipogenesis and the creation of all those particles that lead to heart disease. 
The same process applies to with inflammation. So when you have insulin resistance and increased abdominal fat, this becomes very inflammatory because the abdominal fat itself is inflamed. It releases inflammatory mediators. And you can see this reflected in multiple inflammatory markers, like an increase in C-reactive protein, an increase in various interleukins, an increase in tumor necrosis factor alpha, even an increase in white blood cell count, all reflecting the heightened level of inflammation. And the inflammation also adds to the liver de novo lipogenesis causing the liver to release even more triglycerides, VLDL, and create small LDL particles. Now, the last issue is called portal endotoxemia. And all that means is the microbes in the colon, and in many people, microbes in the colon have also proliferated. These are fecal species like E. coli and salmonella and campylobacter and citrobacter. These fecal microbes have proliferated and in many people have ascended into the 24 feet of small intestine. And whether the fecal microbes are confined to the colon or worse, have invaded this 24 feet of small intestine, their breakdown product, these microbes don't live very long, right? They live a few hours. There's trillions of them. When they die, they release some of their components. And one important component is called endotoxin, a component of their cell wall. And endotoxin is released into the intestines. Some of it penetrates into the bloodstream. Now, the gastrointestinal system is drained by something called the portal venous system. It's a system of veins that goes directly to the liver. So when you have microbes, especially if they've ascended into the small bowel, which is extremely common. So uh, those of you unfamiliar with this argument, see my conversations, both in this podcast as well, my blog, my books about SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth where there's 24 feet of small bowel now is occupied by fecal microbes, very common. And the small intestine is not well equipped to handle this. And that endotoxin is much more readily able to cross into the bloodstream, into the portal system, portal venous system, and it goes to the liver. And when that happens, when the liver is taking a beating with this flood of endotoxin, liver de novo lipogenesis, insulin resistance, and inflammation are amplified even further. So we have, let's review this. So the process starts with consumption of sugar and the carbs, especially amylopectin A of wheat and grains, goes to the liver that converts via lipogenesis those carbs to triglycerides that become packaged in VLDL, particles that cause heart disease and contribute to formation of small LDL. And then three additional processes that are very common in the presence of people who have small LDL particles, insulin resistance, inflammation, and portal endotoxemia. Those three things amplify this entire process, revs it up, and you get all the other associated abnormalities too. Higher triglycerides, right? Because the liver's producing tons of triglycerides. Low HDL, because high triglycerides causes degradation of HDL. Higher blood sugar, because you have insulin resistance. Higher C-reactive protein and other inflammatory markers, because there's inflammation going on. Once again, Where's cholesterol in all this? It's not there. Has nothing to do with this whole process, this whole creation of the lipoproteins and the metabolic distortions that lead to coronary disease and heart attacks. So if you understand all this and the pivotal events are diet, VLDL, insulin resistance, inflammation, and portal endotoxemia, it kind of points you in the direction of what to do about it. So what we do is we don't initiate the process of liver de novo lipogenesis. So we don't eat sugars, we don't eat grains, and we thereby 
deprive the liver of material to make triglycerides and VLDL particles. We're going to address common nutrient deficiencies that allow insulin resistance and inflammation to occur. So we're going to supplement vitamin D, magnesium, iodine, and omega-3 fatty acids, nutrients largely lacking in modern lifestyles. Not the diet, but in modern lifestyles. And when you put those four things together, especially combined with the diet, you have a dramatic reduction in insulin resistance and inflammation. You can track this if you're tracking measures like fasting insulin or blood sugar or blood pressure or a C-reactive protein. You will see those values improve dramatically within weeks of starting this process because there's a synergy. Those four nutrients, omega-3 fatty acids, vitamin D, iodine, magnesium, synergize to address insulin resistance and inflammation. And then lastly, the more complicated process of addressing dysbiosis and SIBO. That's a whole conversation of its own. Rather than go over it again, I urge you to listen to my other Defiant Health podcast about SIBO and endotoxemia. Also, my drdavisinfinitehealth.com website has lots of conversations. My super gut book has extended conversations, but I want to entice you that how do you get rid of that portal endotoxemia? Well, you don't just take a probiotic, right? That does not do it. It may reduce the endotoxemia a little bit, but it does not get rid of the distortions of microbial species in the colon and in the small bowel. We do something that I call SIBO yogurt. And all this is, is three very important species, two of which are keystone species. That is species that you should have had all along in your gastrointestinal microbiome, but have lost. Nearly all modern people have lost due to their susceptibility to antibiotics. And we ferment them in an extended fermentation process to make a yogurt. It doesn't have to be dairy, but dairy's the easiest. We use extended fermentation so that we get something like 300 billion microbes per half cup serving. And so far, we've had about 40 people do this. 90% have normalized SIBO because we're using the AIR device, A-I-R-E, to measure hydrogen gas. That's a whole other conversation. It's one of the ways you have, one of the options you have to document whether you have SIBO and thereby endotoxemia and to document whether or not it's been eradicated. So please see my super gut book or those other sites I mentioned to understand how this fits. But know that you can get rid of SIBO, I believe, with the yogurt. You know, if the solution was something catastrophic or severe, like removing part of your intestines, you better be damn certain that you need to have that done. But what if the solution is something akin to yogurt that you can make in the comfort of your kitchen and is really just restoring lost keystone or, or foundational microbes? I don't think you have to be quite as certain. You could even do this empirically based on best judgment. So once again, I urge you to take a look at my other materials talking about SIBO and endotoxemia. But bottom line here, if you want to reduce or eliminate cardiovascular risk, risk for heart attack, risk for a sudden cardiac death, need for procedures like bypass surgery or stent implantation. It has nothing to do with cholesterol. It has little to do with statin cholesterol drugs. That is all the strategies that come from that flawed house of cards called cholesterol. Instead, we're going to focus on the real science. How does the liver make the particles that actually contribute to coronary disease and cardiovascular risk? Now, if you've learned something from this episode of Defiant Health Podcast, I urge you to subscribe via your favorite podcast directory, post a review, post a comment, tell your friends. We need to reject all the nonsense that comes out of conventional healthcare that is not designed for health. It's designed for profit. And here we're talking about things you can do on your own in the comfort of your own home or kitchen. Thanks for listening.